When I first started in ministry, I was a Salvation Army officer, and part of my job as a Salvation Army officer was to look after uh, a family store, you know, a thrift shop. And one day I was in the office doing something, and I got a, a phone call, and it was a lady complaining about one of my workers. And uh, so I listened to this lady's complaint, and then I had to go down to the shop and talk to the worker who had caused the complaint. And I was very hesitant. I was only young. I'm still young, but I was only young uh, in those days, 22, I think I would have been, maybe 23, something like that. And it was the first time I'd ever been a manager of people, and so I was very nervous about going and confronting this person. And this worker was uh, a tough lady, let's put it that way. She was a tough lady. She would have been 60 or 70. Well, she seemed 70, but she was tough And I was very worried about how I was going to confront this lady, how I was going to have this conversation with her about the complaint I'd received. So I I thought about how I could do this, and I'd, 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 I'd done a management course in university, so I sort of went back and reviewed some of my notes on that, and they said, what you should do is is write out all the possibilities of what could happen. So if I don't confront her, what are the possibilities of that? If I do confront her, what are the possibilities? How might she react and draw all these different lines and boxes? I spent about half an hour doing this and finally worked out, well, the very worst thing she could do is kill me. But (laughs) below that, the worst thing she could do was quit. And I didn't want her to quit because she was a a good worker. You know, tough people are good workers. Anyway, so I went down there and I walked in the door and as soon as she saw me, she burst into tears. And in a thousand years, that's not what I thought would have happened. That didn't appear on my chart of all the possibilities. It never occurred to me that the first thing she would do is burst into tears and apologize because she knew she'd done the wrong thing and she was in trouble. Even before I said a word, she was fully repentant and apologizing and and, and, and before I could say a thing, I was very surprised. You can never be sure how someone will respond to a message. You can never be sure how someone will respond to a message. That never occurred to me that she would cry and apologise and do the whole thing. It all worked out for the best. And that lady, I believe, is still working there 20 years later. She must be 90 by now. But but you can never be sure how someone will respond to a message. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning we're talking about the parable of the sowing and and the soil. Uh, So we have Jesus teaching by the lake. We're in Mark chapter 4. So where we left off in March, wherever that was, we were in Mark chapter 3, I think, and we worked our way through a few more chapters, uh, verses over the the course of the internet messages, so hopefully you've been watching those. If you've fallen behind, there's still all the internet, you can watch what we talked about these last few weeks. Well, here we are in Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And we took a diversion the last few weeks into Matthew's gospel to listen to the Sermon on the Mount, to hear the sorts of things Jesus talked about, his teaching, his way of speaking. But when Mark says Jesus is teaching, we believe that he's teaching this verse. Let's read it together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. These are the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And so when it says he began to teach, we believe he's teaching on this theme, the theme of the kingdom of God and what people need to do in response to the fact that the kingdom of God is close by. We've also taken, as I said, a few weeks diversion into Matthew 5, 6 and 7 to see some more of Jesus' teaching. And then the the shorter version of that's found in Luke chapter 6, 
the Sermon on the Flat Place. One of them's on a mountain, one of them's on a flat place. Here Mark has Jesus teaching by the sea, telling his disciples how he wants them to live. But here Mark, Mark presents Jesus coming back and talking to a public group. And so we're going to read through some verses this morning. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. By parables. What are parables? We've talked about parables a little bit here in the last few months. A parable is a short story. It's something that's memorable and it's something that has a point. So a parable is short, memorable and has a point. And so Jesus teaches them by parables. And Mark gives us one of the examples, his most famous, perhaps, parable. In his teaching, Jesus said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he, where was I? That was a bit that, I'm out of practice. You can tell I'm out of practice. Normally I would stop the video and cut this bit out and you would never see me make this mistake. So I'm out of practice. Parables are short, they're memorable, they have a point. Jesus began to teach them the parable. He said, listen, a farmer went to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the same sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This parable is short. It's only 115 words, only six verses long. It's 115 words in English, in Greek and Aramaic, it'd be a different length, but about that same 115 words, which if you talk about as fast as I talk, is about a minute's worth of talking. It's a story you can tell in a minute. It's memorable. There are four kinds of soil, there are four kinds of responses, and you could remember the four kinds of soil and the four kinds of responses. And it has a point. The point that Jesus is telling in this simple parable is it's the same seed, but there's different outcomes. The same seed falls in different places, but there's different outcomes. When he was alone, the passage goes on, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. There are other parables here in Mark chapter 4, which we'll talk about next week. And the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him about these parables. Matthew, Mark and Luke all record this parable and this story. And Luke, the question is, what does this parable mean? In Matthew, the question is, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? And Mark just says the 12 and the others began to ask him about the parables. And the answer Jesus gives is in response to the three questions from Luke, Mark, and Matthew. But for us, it raises even more questions. Here is Jesus' answer. Jesus told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that... They may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. It seems as though Jesus is using parables to deliberately make life difficult 
for those on the outside. He quotes from the Old Testament and he seems to be saying that he does not want people to understand him. Is that what you got from reading that passage? Ever seeing but never perceiving? Ever listening but never hearing? It seems like a strange thing for a preacher to say. Strange thing for a teacher to say. A strange thing for a communicator to say. Why talk at all if you didn't want people to understand? If I didn't want you all to understand, I would speak in my very bad German. Hans might have a trouble understanding me. We might have another bit of a... But my German's so bad, even the German speakers might not understand me. But I'm speaking to you in English because that's the language that most of us hold in common. Because I want you to understand what I'm saying. But Jesus does want the people to understand. Because look at verse 9. He says to them, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So we need to look at Jesus' response, his purpose, in a different way. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. One of the most famous passages of Isaiah. Let's take a quick look at it. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We have church Bibles have been donated uh, just before we all went into lockdown, but I'm not allowed to hand out our church Bibles because you might, you might get your germs on them. And then, I don't know, we're just not allowed to hand out the, the pew Bibles. Once we get back, the all clear. You can have a look at our beautiful, I'm allowed to touch them, you're not. But we have our beautiful Bibles there. Uh, switch over to Isaiah. It's basically in the middle of the Bible. If you find Psalms, go to the right. Isaiah chapter 6. And it's the most famous, of really, of the book of Isaiah. And it begins with that well-famous phrase, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted. The prophet Isaiah has a vision of God in his throne room, reaching down into the temple. And Isaiah sees the heavenly beings, the seraphs, their six wings, flying blind and calling to each other, Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. And, of course, we have songs based on this passage, don't we? Holy, 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 holy. Or for the older folks, holy, holy, holy. These songs come out of the Isaiah. Don't get carried away. Come on. <laughs> These songs are based from the Isaiah passage and the parallel passage in Revelation, which shows us a similar picture in heaven. Then we have the famous words of Isaiah. He says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live, live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And have you ever thought that yourself, about being a man of unclean lips and encountering God? And then the seraph, the angel, takes the coal from the altar and brings it and touches his lips and says, See, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. We sing about this verse as well, or at least we used to in my church. Send a new touch of power on my soul, Lord, send it now, Lord, send it now, Lord. Touch my lips with a call from thine altar, Lord. Send a new touch of power on my soul. Is that just a Salvation Army one or did other folk know that one? Just a salvo one. Okay, interesting. It's a good one. I'll have to teach you that one. And then the famous question from the Lord on the throne, he says, Whom shall we send and who will go for us? This is all in this Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah's famous response, Here I am, send me. And we sing songs about this as well. 
Here am I, my Lord, send me. Here am I, my Lord, send me. I surrender all to obey thy call. Here am I, my Lord, send me. Is that a Salvation Army one again? Did... Some people know that one? Okay. Or the newer, the newer version. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. In fact, in my hymn book at home, 21 hymns and songs are suggested for Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And nine of those 21 songs are suggested for verse 8 alone. Here am I, Lord, send me. It's something we love to sing about. And it's one of our, in the church, it's one of our favorite passages. 21 songs suggested for Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. Guess how many songs are suggested for the rest of Isaiah chapter 6? Anyone like to guess? We have a guess of zero. Any advance on zero? No. Zero is the right number. There are no songs suggested for the rest of Isaiah for chapter 6, and it's this second half of Isaiah chapter 6 that Jesus is quoting in Mark chapter 4. There are no songs suggested for it because it's downright depressing. The rest of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this glorious encounter with God. He's declared holy. He volunteers to be a messenger of God, and he is told, no one is going to listen to you. And that's the rest of chapter 6. No one, gee, God says to him, thank you for volunteering. I've declared you holy. Here is your message. By the way, no one's going to listen. And for some reason, we don't write songs about that half of the chapter. No one's going to listen. No one's going to look. No one's going to comprehend. No one's going to turn. No one's going to be healed. Not until it's too late, God says. And everything's destroyed and the land is utterly desolate and the people are sent into exile. And as you read the rest of the book of Isaiah, you will see that this is exactly what happened. Isaiah was given messages from God that he proclaimed to the people and they did not listen. They pursued their selfish and sinful ways and their nation was destroyed by the Babylonians and taken into exile for 70 years. Isaiah writes some wonderful things including great prophecies about the coming of Jesus, about the nature of God. He predicts a coming day when swords will be beaten into plowshares and when the wolf will lie down with the lamb and ultimately all nations and tongues will be gathered to worship the Lord at Jerusalem, a picture of the world yet to be. But God tells Isaiah at the outset, no one is going to listen to you. And this is what Jesus uses as his reason, his explanation for using parables to teach those outside the secret of the kingdom of God. For the crowds, everything is in parables. And at the end of Mark chapter 4, which we'll come to next week, we read this, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke to the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This still seems troublesome to us. Is Jesus choosing a select few to understand and then deliberately hiding things from those outside? Is he preparing a secret elect and deliberately damning those not chosen? 
No. No, a thousand times no. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has his vision of God. He's declared holy. He hears the call. He volunteers and he's told no one was going to listen to you. And then Isaiah asks a question. How long, O Lord? How long will they ignore me? How long will they not listen? And God gives an until. Until. And God lists his conditions there in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's message was largely ignored in his lifetime. But the things he wrote were of immense value to the Jewish people during the exile and afterwards. And much of their theology and much of our theology about the nature of God comes from Isaiah. It's Isaiah who is the first one to really lay out that all the gods of the rest of the world are fake and only our God is real. Up until Isaiah came along, the Jewish people seemed to believe that their God was real, but so were the gods of the other nations, just that our God is best. But Isaiah comes along and says, actually, guys, the gods of all the other nations are fake. They're made up. Our God is the only real God. And so you move from practical monotheism to effective monotheism. That's my theological lecture for this morning. But this is Isaiah saying this. Much of the picture of the Messiah is laid out in Isaiah's writings, though they were ignored largely at the time. And it's only hundreds of years later when Jesus comes along and starts pointing these things out and saying, these things apply to me, that suddenly the messianic message of Isaiah comes pointing out to us. In the same way, Jesus is saying, it seems to me there are things about the kingdom of God that need to be obscured for a while. There are some things Jesus cannot say plainly or openly just yet for a number of reasons. There is an until coming. Jesus at this stage can't reveal himself too openly, too quickly, too fully, at least not to the crowds. He can tell his disciples these things, but he can't tell everybody because he's building a movement. He's training disciples. He's sharing glimpses of the nature of God, but he's doing so wisely and carefully and gently. He has to be killed at the exact right time and in the exact right way to have the maximum impact. And so Jesus is very careful with his message. He doesn't want them to kill him too soon. He is shepherding and stewarding the mystery of the kingdom until the right time. So when is the right time? And what is the condition? Well, Jesus tells his disciples at the end of Mark's gospel, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew says it the same way. He says it slightly differently. He says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so it seems to me that after the resurrection, after Jesus says to his disciples, he says, guys, we don't have to hide the meanings of these parables anymore. We don't have to obscure these, these messages anymore. You can tell people what these things mean, these things that are to be taught and shared openly. And so the apostles and the disciples were told what the parables meant, and they were then meant to share those hidden or obscured meaning with the crowds, which they did in the first century. And many of those explanations have come down to us, both through the epistles at the end of the New Testament and also through some extra biblical writings and people explaining, the church fathers explaining what the parables meant or how they were told what the parables meant. Some of these explanations are lost to history. And so Christians discuss and debate and write about those parables to this day. 
talking about what they mean and why. But this parable is not one of those that's lost to history because we have Jesus' own explanation and Jesus' own words. And this parable gives us some keys and guides on how to interpret the other parables. And so we have the explanation. So Jesus goes on and explains the parable to them. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And so we have Jesus' explanation of these things. Jesus says, when the message of God is proclaimed, you can expect four different kinds of results. Well, he says, first of all, you can expect two kinds of results. Either people will respond or they won't. He says, there's the hard-hearted people who won't even listen at all. It just bounces right off them and Satan comes and takes it away. And then he says, of those who do respond, there'll be three different kinds of responses. There's those shallow people who soon give up with difficulty or persecution or lose interest, people who only grow, who don't grow deep in their faith, who are weak and are easily lost. He talks about the distracted and the unfruitful people, people who accept this good news of the gospel, but then other things come in, the wealth and the cares of this world come and choke the yield, and it yields nothing. And then he talks about the healthy and the whole soil who produce more seed, who are good people, who grow and are focused on what God is telling them to do and and obedient and produce more seed that can spread the word further. And this is Jesus' explanation of his own parable. Now we have to be, and there's the picture there. I forgot to mention as well, I've got sermon notes there at the back, so make sure you take a copy of the sermon notes and there's uh, Bible study questions there for you to look through as well. The picture there of the four kinds of seeds. Jesus is saying, when the word is proclaimed, when the message is shared, these are the four kinds of responses you can expect. We have to be careful not to make the parable say more than it does. Do not make the parable say more than it means. Is Jesus saying, people are just like dirt? And just like dirt, they cannot change. Is that what he's saying? No, that's beyond what he's saying. Is Jesus saying if people are hard-hearted when you tell them the word on a Tuesday, then that person will always be hard-hearted, so don't bother telling them the word on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Is that the message of this parable? No. Is Jesus saying people get one chance and if they blow it, then too bad for them? Is that the message of the parable? No, that's not what he's saying. We have to be careful not to overstate the parable's message. The message of this parable is people respond to the word of God in different ways. 
The message is not people are dirt and never change. Are there any questions this morning? I've missed my questions. Are there any questions about anything I've spoken about this morning? No? All right. If you've got questions, my email address, my phone number is on the page. You can send me a question. I'd love to talk to you about these things. So our application, what should we do about this parable? Well, first of all, some of us are sowers. In fact, all Christians are sowers. We have the opportunity of sharing the good news of God with other people. And so as sowers, we should share the good news about Jesus. We should share the word. We should share it regularly. We should share it generously. We should tell anyone and everyone the simple message. The simple message is the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom is not far away. God is not your enemy. God has done everything necessary to make you his friend. God loves you. Jesus is the proof that God loves you. As sowers, as people sharing this message, is it our job to decide who is hard-hearted and who's good soil and who's got the weeds and who's only shallow? Is that our job? No. The sower throws the seed, Jesus says. Whereas lands is up to the people. The response to this message is not 100% our problem. There are three parties at work here. Us, God, and the person listening. We can do our part. And God is always doing his part. But then the other person has to make a decision, has to make a choice, how they respond to that message. We need to do our part well. And God will always do his part. But even if you've got the best preacher in the world, if you've got Billy Graham at the height of his power, and you've got God there with a, th a thousand angels and the Holy Spirit's pouring out like buckets, there's still opportunity for that person to say, actually, no, I'd rather not. So we need to be aware of that. Even when we're on our A game and when God's there in 100% of his power, God still respects the freedom of the person to make their choice. Our job is to share the good news in the best way we can. The other person will make their choice. And we cannot make that person make the choice we want. And then as soil, what should we do? We're not just sowers, but we're also soil. We're people who hear the word of God. So what should we do? Well, don't be hard-hearted to the word of God. Be open to the word of God, open to the word of Jesus, his message to us and for us. That's what we've spoken about these last few weeks with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus saying to the people, build on my word, work with it, do it. Here, I'm just telling you this now, go and do it, Jesus says. And so we mustn't be hard-hearted, we must listen to Jesus. We must grow deeper. We must ask God to remove the stones from our life that stop us going deeper. And we must do the work ourselves. We are not dirt. We make choices. We make decisions. And we can choose to grow deeper. We can get rid of the weeds. We can ask God to come and pull out the weeds and we can pull them out ourselves as well. I've been spending a little bit of my lockdown time pulling the, there's this horrible clover, which I've never seen. It's come to Queensland since I grew up here. But there's this, they've got these long sort of brown seeds and this awful stuff with this long, deep root. And so when, when I get sick of the kids, I go out in the backyard and I pull the root. And you've got to pull it out by the root. And if you don't get that long root, it'll just come back. It's hard work getting rid of the weeds. 
But it's worth it. Jesus says it's worth it. If you're distracted by wealth, if you're distracted by the cares of this world, Jesus says live simply, live generously, live differently. Get rid of the weeds, get rid of the rocks, be good soil. And lastly, multiply what we've been given. Be the good soil. So let the word of God grow in your heart and let it give birth to 30 or 60 or 100 times as much. And go and share that seed with all the people around you. Jesus said to them, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. We have a part to play. He's given us ears, let's use them. He's given us eyes to read, let's read. He's given us a mind to think, let's think. Let's put the words of God into application in our own lives. Father God, this morning, that is our prayer. We want to see Jesus. We want to hear Jesus. We want to be transformed into his likeness. We want to be good soil. We want to grow your word. We want to share with others. Help us, Heavenly Father. Father God, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who is hard-hearted, that you would break through that hard heart this morning and let your word lodge. If there's anyone here this morning who's only got shallow roots, Father God, help them to tear out those rocks and to grow deeper. Father God, if there are Christians here this morning who are distracted by the cares of this world, the lure of wealth, the desires of this place, Father God, set fire to those weeds. Burn them out. Help us to pull those roots out of those, those nasty clover burrs. Father God, help us to be good soil. Father God, we want to grow and be your people. We want to change and be transformed by your Holy Spirit's work. Father God, help us to do our part as well. We pray all this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, the one who gave us ears and then told us to listen. Amen. Amen.